You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Glad to be with you for this Advent Sunday, the third Sunday in Advent. And uh, here we have this third song called The Gloria that we're going to look at. And I was thinking about songs. Uh, a couple weeks ago, the uh, music listening world was all abuzz because Spotify had released the wrap-up, right? Yeah, yeah. The big wrap-up. Your most listened songs. Uh, your most listened artists. Most listened genres. I've got to tell you, I was a little disappointed with mine. <laughs> Because it did not reflect, I was trying to figure it out. There was a little bit of jazz and then all these hymns, you know, songs and hymns, which would have been great, but I didn't listen to any of them. <laughs> and I was like, what's going on? And I realized my wife and I share the same account and she's the holy one. It's like, I don't listen to this stuff. But anyway, but these things are meaningful to us. Um, you know, I read one thing that I thought summarized it well. Uh, the list validates our conception of ourselves as individuals, tells a unique and meaningful story about who each person is, the soundtrack of our lives. And so uh, this morning, we're looking at part of the Bible's wrap-up, right? The poems and the songs that form the self-conception of the people of God, the soundtrack in the story of the people of God, focusing in on the advent of Jesus Christ, the Savior. And this song is unique in that it doesn't come from a man or a woman, doesn't come from the earth, it actually comes from heaven, comes from angels, a heavenly host, and it is a song of good tidings. Good news, that's where we get our word what? Gospel, that's right. And so I want to consider the setting and the subject of this song. Okay, the setting and the subject. Now, I don't know if you've ever found yourself searching for the story behind one of your favorite lyrics. You know, we do that in part because it helps us, the setting helps us get in on the meaning of the lyric. You know, it, it changes the meaning of the song when, when, we, when we understand that um, behind the old country song, I'm so lonesome I could cry, was the broken and tragic marriage of Hank Williams Jr. and his wife Audrey. It matters when we learn behind the iconic song, The Message, by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, are the conditions of inner city New York in the 80s, right? You can see photos of that. It matters when you find out that Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA is not a patriotic anthem. It's actually a lament about the way that America treated Vietnam vets. The setting of a song matters. And the setting of the songs of Advent gives us some help too. The prophet Isaiah told us in his own song, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness have seen a great light. 
So the people receiving this song have been a place of deep darkness. These are the people of Israel. Ever since the breaking apart and the scattering of the kingdom and the nation under Babylon, under Persia, under the Greeks, under the Romans, Israel had been homeless and hassled. They had been scattered and scorned. They had been pillaged and persecuted. And while God had made a promise that he would deliver his people, it had been a long, long time since they had heard that song, since they were able to sing it. You know, sometimes songs take a long time in the making. I read that uh, one of the eagles, former eagles, uh, Don Henley, that it took him 42 years to write his song, Heart of the Matter. Well, this one takes even longer. It goes back to the book of beginnings, the first book of the Bible, right? Where we're told a super conqueror, a seed of the woman from heaven will crush the serpent, our enemy, the serpent. And then finally, after thousands and thousands of years, the song is sung in reality. It's finally released. And where's the release party? L.A.? New York, Nashville, more like Johnson City. It's not Rome, it's not Jerusalem, it's a hill country town in Judea, Bethlehem. In 2002, uh, Prince shocked Birdie's Bar and Grill when he showed up late night in this small bar and grill in Indianapolis with his group and took the stage. They never forgot it, right? It put them on the map in their minds. Well, Bethlehem, even though it was small, had its own significant history. King David was born there. And one of the prophets spoke about it, right? But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth me, one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. But did you catch that? Too little. Too little to be noticed. An average town gets a really big song release. And it's not just the town, but it's who got invited to the VIP party. The shepherds. Now, there's some conflicting stuff about shepherds. You know, know, sometimes you'll hear, well, the shepherds were these guys low of character, not to be trusted, unclean. Yeah, you know, there may be truth to that, like every job. But when you look in Scripture, they're represented on balance as favorably, right? God refers to himself as a shepherd. Jacob's a shepherd. David's a shepherd. And, of course, Jesus Christ refers to himself as the good shepherd. So it's an average job. A good average job. And from the context here, it appears that these were faithful, good shepherds. After all, they're they're waiting, right? They're doing their job at night. And it's in this setting, these average shepherds in an average town hear a glorious song. It debuts in their average town on an average night of work. And this is where modern Americans, even urbanites, kind of screw up their face a little bit. 
Furtherbrow. It sort of confuses us and dismays us, doesn't it? Because really, one of our greatest fears is to be average. It's to be unremarkable. It's to be unnoticed. It's to be that person that causes someone's attention to a drift during a party. Right? You know when it happens. You're talking to them and, you know, you get about 30 seconds in and it's like, there's somebody else here I can be talking to. Really, social media exists so people will feel like their lives are on average. We consider average work a curse. No, I was listening to a song do- or watching a song documentary, and I've seen this in a couple different ones, where uh, you know they'll talk about this artist, this artist who's very gifted and talented, and they'll hear them talk about the fact that for a time, while they were writing songs, they had to do a, an ordinary job, right? And they'll say, and they wrote songs at night, and for two years had to work in a factory. Right? An injustice. Right? Because we have this idea the more talented you are, you should not be bothered with the average stuff. You know, the, the great painter Norman Rockwell, I remember seeing uh, a documentary on him and his son, with, uh, his adult son, with sadness, said, yeah, I remember we'd be at Thanksgiving dinner and dad would get up in the middle of it and go paint. Right? We excuse we excuse our gifts, and we think if I, if I just had more talent and gifts, it ought to excuse me from the day to day. But the good news is the gospel shows up, average days, average people. That's where the revelation of God comes. As far as I can tell, Mary wasn't having a pedicure when the angels came, right? I think she was around her, you know, her, her average day and average work. And of course, the Lord sends the very Son of God for 30 years to live in an average life and to work as a craftsman, and he makes no apology for it. Eugene Peterson, who Russ likes to call Mean Gene Peterson, <laughs> says this, God's great love and purposes for us are all worked out in messes in our kitchens, in backyards, in storms and sins, blue skies, the daily work and dreams of our common lives. God works with us as we are and not as we should be or think we should be. God comes where we are. What the world sees average, God sees faithful. The world sees averageness. God sees faithfulness. So I just want to say to all you diaper-changing, dishwashing, bus-taking, Aaron Ryan, average saints, glory. Glory to you. The world sings to us when we're great. God sings glory to us when we're average. Wherever you are, Whatever you're despising, as you look ahead to your week and go, oh, you know, I've got this habit about me. I call it doom casting. Right? I look at my schedule. I look at my day and I begin to forecast how I'm going to feel. Right? Oh, Wednesday. I'm already doom casting. Big for Wednesday. It's going to be a bad day. I just know it. 
It's into these days that the Lord wants to sing glory to us. I've come in your midst. So the setting of the song gives us that. But let's just turn for a few moments to the subject of the song. Part of the power of music can be seen in contrast or counterpoint, right? The way the music will, will vary against each other. And this song is filled with counterpoint. We've already mentioned some of it. You have the heavenly hosts and you have the shepherds. Some would have said creation has no more mysterious and exalted beings than angels and no one more average than a shepherd, a lonely shepherd. And as we think about these angels, we shouldn't think about a Christmas choir and robes and reindeers on the sweaters. Uh, these are like singing soldiers. This is an army. This is a heavenly host, rank upon rank. You can see why the shepherds are afraid. It's those that have come to declare that the Son of God has come. And in this way, it's hard not to think that God is poking a little fun at Rome. There was a declaration made by the Roman royal council about Caesar Augustus' birth and how they wanted to change the yearly calendar on his birth. And this is what the declaration said. Since Providence has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants. And since by his appearance excelled even our anticipations, the birthday of the God, Augustus, was the beginning of the good tidings or the gospel for the world. And here you have God's army coming going, huh? We'll see about that. Psalm 2, where God, you know, laughs from heaven, right, at the nations, holds it in derision, the pride of the nations. And yet the shepherds at first are scared to death, but they come to see that the army isn't coming at them, it's coming for them. In fact, it's coming to enlist them that they might serve the great captain of their salvation, Jesus Christ. And this is another thing that is good news to us, right? You may not feel like a great mighty man or mighty woman. You might feel like, well, you know, I'm sort of a coward. I'm sort of someone who's afraid a lot. I'm sort of someone that doesn't have a lot of noticeable strengths, you know? I'm not the special ops of the world. I'm not the person they're going to look to and say, this is going to be the hero. And that's exactly who God enlists to be part of his army. These are the men and women that become strong in the spirit. Why? Because it's not what they do, but it's who they follow. It's this great Lord that they've been brought into. And for everybody that's a follower in Christ, what makes you strong and what makes you frightening to darkness it's the glory of Jesus that surrounds you, right? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And perfect love casts out fear. But it's not just what they see, it's what they hear and what they see. The angels want the shepherds to go and see, right? Some things you got to go and see. 
They got to go and see this glory. And you can imagine they ran. I had a chance to, to go to Israel, to go to Bethlehem, and they took us on one or two hills, likely the hill that the shepherds were on. And, you know, you could look down into the town. So they had a little bit of ways to go. But you can imagine they, they, they were running. Right? They're running and they're moving their way down there and they're working through places. They're, they're God, the Holy Spirit's leading them. Maybe they go down the wrong street. Just because you feel the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you make, don't make mistakes. <laughs> Heaven's going to be really fun, I, you know, as we learn stuff. I, that's a whole other way to think. But as they're running, but, I, you know, I'm sure they get that and they're running and maybe they run by the door and they stop. <sighs> and they see Madonna with a child with a halo. No, they don't. <laughs> they see weakness. They see vulnerability. They see fragility. They see lowliness. These are the very things that you and I so desperately want to hide from one another and hide from the world. Our vulnerability our lowliness, our weakness. And yet, this is the very glory the Lord wants them to see. It's just not the glory of the Lord Christ. It's the glory of the child, right? One of the great counterpoints of the gospel in the world is how different the saviors look. How different the saviors appear. St. Augustine said, Man's maker was made man that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast. That the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey. That truth might be accused of false witness. The teacher might be beaten with whips. The foundation be suspended on wood. That strength might grow weak. That the healer might be wounded. That life might die. This is the counterpoint of the Christian gospel. The counterpoint of the Savior that brings us. So I want to ask you, friends, how are you trying to be delivered? How do you hope to be delivered this Advent? Because his favor rests on the weak and the vulnerable, and the fragile. That is where you'll see the glory of this Savior. And when we do, it's not just the song that we'll hear. It's the song that we'll sing. We'll really begin to sing. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.